the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon to you, wherever you might be here in sunny, wonderful Southern California. This is Southern California Live. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow, your guest host for today and tomorrow. I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church of San Diego, and I host a show called Cultivating Ethos on KPRZ in San Diego. So it's great to be with you again today. I got to be with you for a few days last month, and uh, that was a lot of fun. And I'm going to be with you here this week and a couple of days next week and even a day the week after. So that's pretty good. Today, I really want to invite you to join our program. You can call me at 888-52-TALKS. That's 888-528-2557. And uh, really hoping to get in touch with you uh, today and hear your thoughts about a couple of issues. One of the things that I think might be most important, and I want to check it out here uh, right away, is uh, Colorado 5, Dodgers 4. And uh, last I looked, the Padres were also defeating the Giants. Uh, so we're rooting. We're rooting for both Southern California teams today and this afternoon. Yep, 4-2 to two, uh, San Diego in the fifth inning. Uh, Dodgers are down by a run. So all of this matters, you know, and, and I think about these things a lot. I know that a lot of you do. And uh, I'm confounded by the success of the San Francisco Giants, as is all of the baseball world. And I don't want to admit it, but I think I'm going to have to admit it. And that means that the uh, Dodgers might end up playing the Cardinals in a one-game playoff for the wild card. And I'm, as a Dodger fan, I'm sick of playing the Cardinals in the playoffs. I'm just letting you know. And that, that scares me. They've won 12 in a row. What in the world? Anyway, uh, that's going on. Maybe we'll take a look at that here and there during the show. Uh, once again, call me, 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. Hopefully you've got your coffee, your afternoon coffee. I think it's important, and uh, maybe you just need to refuel for the rest of the afternoon. Uh, maybe the rest of your drive, if you've got a long drive in traffic. I noticed that the traffic, now that it's fall, the uh, the traffic is increased again. I don't, I don't think we're quite back to uh, pre-COVID levels, but it's beginning to feel that way. Uh, anyway, get your coffee. It's important. It's important for our, our conversation where we're going to take a look at the world through the lens of our faith today in a couple of uh, different issues. Your coffee, the brew of the believer, the choice of the chosen, the juice of the joyful, the elixir of the elect, the drink of the delivered. That's how I look at it. Uh, you might be a tea person. That's all right. You know, perhaps, uh, you know, maybe you're an afternoon beer person. If so, hopefully you're not in traffic uh, doing that. I once had this pastor friend uh, he kept inviting me out for a beer. Like, that was his thing. And I don't think he even liked it. I think it was just this movement of, uh, hey, I want to be cool, and so I'm going to be pastor guy with the beer. And uh, what was funny about it is he kept inviting me at 10 in the morning. And I'm like, you've got a problem, dude. You know, maybe we need to get together and talk about that. So uh, I'll go out and I'll get a coffee with you, and uh, maybe I'll put on my skinny jeans or something. Nah, I'm kidding. No, no skinny jeans for me. There ought to be a rule. There ought to be a rule about pastors in skinny jeans. I think the rule ought to be, you know, once you are beyond 50 or something, you're not allowed. You're just not allowed to buy them. Since we're in an era of government regulations and what we can do and what we can't do to our bodies, let's not sell skinny jeans to older guys. I'm just saying. I mean, it's a radio show. You don't know, you know, I'm wearing the jeans. I like it. But uh, I'm not wearing the skinny jeans. You laugh, but uh, there's an issue there. You know, jeans are, uh, we'll get to something serious in a second. 
But I think this matters. You know, uh, it matters. It's out there. We want to have some fun. George Will, remember him? He's still around, apparently. And uh, he's a conservative columnist for the Washington Post. Same George Will. He's always been. And several years ago, he wrote a bunch of stuff where he just was anti-denim. And somebody on a podcast interviewed him this week. And uh, he's been against grown-ups wearing denim for a long time. And it is kind of funny. And he thinks jeans are basically for farmers or people who are working in the gold rush uh, back in the day. Anyway, he was asked about this today. And, and uh, I've got a clip of what this is. Go ahead and play that clip. A lot of our dads and granddads uh, were sort of in the Mad Men era. We're like, I'm the, I'm the dad and I'm going to have the three martini lunch. They were sort of suppressing things sometimes. And I think that led to maybe they weren't connected to their kids as much. What do you think of, of that other extreme? I'm in favor of suppressing things. I think what the result of suppression things, many things, is called civilization. We suppress our appetites. We control our passions. And uh, you can call that with Freud repression. I call it civilization. There you go. That is the epic response. Now, I'm not against the wearing jeans, but I thought that was an interesting response that he had. The result of suppressing things is civilization. And I think maybe we just see that as something else. Everybody, I wear jeans every single day. I really do. Uh, but I like that. And civilization is something I want to talk about a little bit because uh, we're seeing a lot of things that threaten it, uh, maybe. And I thought what I want to do today is talk a little bit about what's going on with the uh, Haitians that are at the Texas border. And what I want to do is I want to hear what you think about this. And, and specifically, if you want to call, the number is 888-528-2557. Tell me what you think and what is up there. And really where I want to get to is this. What do you think the church's response is to these issues at the border, with not just the Haitians who are there, but also with uh, all the different border issues we have? What is the the response of the church, the Christian response. Well, what does your church do? I'd love to hear maybe what your church does in these areas. Here in Southern California, a lot of the refugees and a lot of people probably, I don't think all these people are being sent back to Haiti or wherever. A lot of them are going to be settled in the United States. And we know that a lot of uh, Afghans are being settled in the United States after that whole mess over there. And they're going to be settled right here in Southern California, many of them in San Diego and in Los Angeles. What is the Christian response? And really what I'm looking at is is not, not so much what's the right policy, because whatever happens in the policy, we still have a response. What should we do? What do you think? Give me a call. Five, or it's 888-528-2557. That's 888-52-TALKS. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. Today, Daniel Foote, who is a special envoy to Haiti, he resigned today over the idea that the Biden administration is sending some of these uh, refugees or, or migrants, however you want to call it, uh, back to Haiti. And part of his frustration is most of these guys who are in Texas have not been in Haiti for a long time. And there's something that happens. There's a pipeline that takes people from Haiti or from other countries that aren't uh, connected to uh, North or Central or South America. And they enter into this hemisphere through South America and they work their way up to the United States. I've worked with refugees here in uh, California who come from uh, Iran uh, several times, and it's they have a wild story about how they end up getting out of Iran and getting out of some persecution they have, especially if they're Christians, and it's it's all legit. They have to come up with a bunch of money, and they pay somebody, and takes them from Iran, and they land in South America, and uh, they work their way up to the United States and then ask for uh, religious asylum. That's what they do. Uh, 
And that's what a lot of these people from Haiti have done. They found a way to get off that island, and instead of sailing over to Florida, they end up going into South America and working themselves up to the United States, where they hope to get in, where I think uh, in some ways they feel a little bit invited in, which has, I think, been a, a false notion. Like, there's there's a politic of it, right? Um, but I think when you really get down to it, we're not really doing it. And that's some of the tragedy uh, of what's going on is that people aren't really being told the truth about what's going to happen to you when you get to the border at this point. Anyway, this guy, uh, he writes this letter and he resigns. And I thought I'd read it because it's an interesting letter. He says, Dear Secretary Blinken, uh, I always want to say A. Blinken. Is it A. Blinken? No, it's just Blinken. His name is Blinken. I think there's a character in a Mel Brooks movie named Blinken. That's what I always think about. Dear, And that's about how this guy uh, does his job, in my opinion. Secretary Blinken. Uh, With deep disappointment and apologies to those seeking crucial changes, I resign from my position as special envoy for Haiti, effective immediately. I will not be associated with the United States' inhumane, counterproductive decision to deport thousands of Haitian refugees and illegal immigrants to Haiti, a country where American officials are confined to secure compounds because of the danger posed by armed gangs in control of daily life. Our policy approach to Haiti remains deeply flawed, and my recommendations have been ignored and dismissed when not edited to project a narrative different from my own. The people of Haiti, mired in poverty, hostage to the terror, kidnappings, robberies, and massacres of armed gangs, and suffering under a corrupt government with gang alliances, simply cannot support the forced infusion of thousands of returned migrants lacking food, shelter, and money without additional affordable, avoidable human tragedy. The collapsed state is unable to provide security or basic services, and more refugees will fuel further desperation and crime. Surging migration to our borders will only grow as we add to Haiti's unacceptable misery. Haitians need immediate assistance to restore the government's ability to neutralize the gangs and restore order through the national police. They need a true agreement across society and political actors with international support to chart a timely path to the democratic selection of their next president and parliament. They need humanitarian assistance, money to deliver COVID vaccines, and so many other things. But what our Haitian friends really want and need is the opportunity to chart their own course without international puppeteering and favored candidates, but with genuine support for that course. I do not believe that Haiti can enjoy stability until her citizens have the dignity of truly choosing their own leaders fairly and acceptably. Last week, the United States and other embassies in Port-au-Prince issued another public statement of support for the unelected de facto prime minister, Dr. Ariel Henry, as the interim leader of Haiti, and have continued to tout his, quote, political agreement, unquote, over another broader earlier accord shepherded by civil society. The hubris that makes us believe we should pick the winner, again, is impressive. The cycle of international political interventions in Haiti has consistently produced catastrophic results. More negative impacts to Haiti will have calamitous consequences, not only in Haiti, but in the United States and our neighbors in the hemisphere. Sincerely, Daniel Foote. That's quite a resignation letter. That's a lot different than, dear Mr. Secretary, I resign, and then going on the news and just saying a few things, writing a book. That's a pretty powerful statement about what's going on. And I think we have a lot of uh, different opinions and disagreements about what to do about immigration and what to do about poverty that's uh, south of our border. What to do about Haiti is a really big deal. Haiti, it seems like it's just always 
having trouble. They're, it's Every 10 years or so, I think they have a major earthquake that collapses things. And if you were unaware, because we've had a lot of other things in the news, uh, their president was assassinated uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, it's very sketchy, all the details. It's a very interesting story, and that's kind of buried in the news somewhere. What's your response to this? And as a believer, as somebody who uh, follows Jesus, you know, we have a, a, a time as citizens of the United States to think about policy. Um, and obviously our policies aren't working. This guy obviously thinks uh, we're creating a bigger problem in Haiti than uh, should be there. And, uh, you know, his issue of sending people back to Haiti, he's not arguing necessarily that we, we put all these thousands of people in the United States, but they haven't lived in Haiti for so long. And sending them back to Haiti is exactly the wrong place. Of all the places they should go, that is the worst place. Uh, for them to go. What do you do? And it's super complicated, right? All these people didn't just, by coincidence, show up in the Texas border at the same time. You know, they have cell phones and they have social media and they're coordinating it and somebody's helping them coordinate. There's there's some some uh, probably sinister things going on here, coyotes that make a lot of money by organizing these things, even though they know full well it's not going to end well for some people. Although maybe it does. You know, there's a lot of discrepancy in what our government is saying as far as how many of these people are being sent back home or sent to Haiti and how many of them are going to be um, allowed to enter the United States. Um, and uh, I think it's probably a lot. I think we're probably going to see it in our, our cities and towns. So here's the thing. I want to hear what you think about this issue. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you think the church's response to this should be. Um, What do you think the church should do? What what is your church doing? Are you involved with uh, different groups like this at your church? They... There are refugees that are sent to our cities by the United Nations. Most of them are, are legal, so not so many people coming up over the border like this, but a lot of legal refugees who are who are coming from places like Afghanistan. Um, one of the polls that was out a few weeks ago when that was going on in Afghanistan, people from all political persuasions agreed that people who helped us in Afghanistan, the translators and people who served our troops and our military over these years, that we should welcome them in. Um, I think uh, even the most conservative group was something like 76% said, yeah, bring them in. So they're coming. Um, What do we do about this? It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people in a brand new culture, uh, a culture that is very, very different. What is your thoughts about this? 888-528-2557. Give me a call. You know, in the scriptures, and I want to talk about it a little bit, um, and I think one of the things that is important for us as believers to do. I think as citizens, we have obligations to speak out just as citizens of the United States, regardless of our our background and other thoughts. But as Christians, what we do should be influenced by the scriptures and by our faith and how we interact should. And I think that for us, if we're going to be wise and we are called to be wise, how do we approach this in a way that is most Christ-like? And then when we disagree on what is Christ-like, which we tend to do, how do we move forward even from there? What does the Scripture say? One of the most significant passages about this is from Micah chapter 6. It's called the Micah Mandate. And uh, we usually hear the second part of it. I want to read a little bit before it. Micah 6, verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 
10,000 rivers of olive oil. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We quote the last one. The last one, you know, it goes on our plaques, and we like that. It's a, it's a great statement. What has the Lord shown you, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Notice that there are three approaches to God, though, actually in this paragraph, going back to verse 6. Two of them are wrong. The wrong one is, should I come with burnt offerings? No, should, you, you don't need to do that. That, you know, that's part of the, in the Old Testament, that was something that you were supposed to be doing. But it wasn't really your way of life. It was pointing to the, the sacrifice of the Savior that was coming in God's eternal plan. Uh, and the next one points to that a little bit more. Should I offer my firstborn? And ultimately, no. The, the idea in the Old Testament is that your firstborn belonged to the Lord. Okay, there was something very valuable about that. It's a whole longer discussion. But it was also pointing to Jesus Christ because he's the firstborn, the one and only son, who, and you know, here he says, our firstborn who dies for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Uh, Jesus does that for us. He's the one who dies. So what do we do? We don't need to make sacrifices anymore in the Old Testament way, and we don't have to offer our firstborn son because the firstborn son has been offered and the sacrifice is complete. What do we do? And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? The greatest commandments that Jesus tells us about, Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. These are challenging because love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. How many of you genuinely do this? Raise your hand. Uh, we struggle. We struggle with this. And then we struggle with the, the second part, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, this is what it means to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God, that, that uh, you do this, these two things. And we're not perfect at all. We struggle. We struggle with how to do it. And sometimes we just don't. And this is why we need a Savior, by the way. This is one of the great things showing us that we need a Savior because we're called to a standard that we can't meet. And God knows we can't meet it. It's still the standard we're called to, but it's met through Christ. And we receive credit for this because of Jesus's perfect life and his ability to do it. However, we are still called to live in godly ways and care about these things. And I think it's hard. I think it's complex. It's complex when we have political issues. It's complex when we have security issues. And it's complex when we see the news and we have a different opinion of what we're seeing with our eyes. And we have, you know, hyperbole where Maxine Waters was talking about it today. And, uh, you know, she says, uh, this take, this is worse than slavery. You know, I don't think it's worse than slavery. I mean, that's a little bit over the top, isn't it? But it is a big deal. What is your, your thought about this? You can give me a call at 888-528-2557, 888-52-TALKS is what that number is. You can also find me on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash Scott Furrow, and you can send me a comment on there, and uh, you can add that to uh, uh, the show if you want to. And uh, I think it matters what we think of this, not only because of the action that we need to do, but because we live in a world where leadership is lacking. It's sadly 
uh, lacking. That letter that we read that's to the Secretary of State is pretty profound. You know, I thought that letter really explains a lot, and one of the things it shows us is a lack of leadership. One of the great things about being a part of the church is that we are called to these very issues. We're not called necessarily to solve law and order issues. Government is meant to do that. And they're going to make decisions one way or the other, good or bad. They're going to make decisions. But whatever they do, whether we have a bunch of refugees who are resettled in the United States or we have refugees who are not allowed to come but they are resettled or just parked on the other side of the border, what is the role of the church? What can we do? What can we do as believers to make a difference, to actually lead in this area and not just complain about it like the world kind of does? I think, and I want to challenge us to think about this, that we can go beyond. We can go beyond our political opinion on the left or right, because whatever that is, something is going to get decided, and there will be people to serve one way or the other. What can we do? Give me a call if you've got any thoughts about that, 888-528-2557, and we'll talk about that for this hour. I want to give some thoughts about this passage and what Jesus is calling us to do, and I'd love to hear what your church is doing. Maybe you have some ideas, too, that you would like to do. Maybe this is uh, difficult for you, and you just want to talk about it. Give me a call. I'd love to hear from you. You're listening to Southern California Live. I am Pastor Scott Furrow. It's great to be with you today. And uh, once again, you can call at 888-528-2557. And I look forward to being back with you here in just a couple of minutes. Don't go away. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back to Southern California Live. I am Pastor Scott Furrow, and it's great to be with you again uh, today. And uh, just checking on the sports scores, if you were wondering, the Dodgers are losing 5-4, to four, and the Padres are now behind the Giants 5-4. to four. And uh, so we'll see how that goes. But anyway, stay with us here. We're talking about important things, and we're talking about how to live in a godly way, and we're talking about how to take a look at the stuff that's going on at the border and with all these Haitians that have uh, arrived there, some of them coming into the country possibly, and many of them being sent back to Haiti or sent somewhere else, uh, most likely also. Once we've gotten past the argument about policy, about left and right and some of the issues there, what is the response of the church? What is your church doing? I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about this these matters. Number is 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You can give me a call about that. These are challenging things, aren't they? But I think that there are times for us as believers when we have to rise above the rhetoric that is out there. And there are so many things that are frustrating and outrageous, and there are security concerns and legal concerns. There are human rights concerns and it's it's a mess, and it's a mess that we've not looked at solving as a country. Where does the church really take leadership here? How do we make an impact? You know, what do we do? And I think this is important for us as believers to get past just picking a side or picking a policy position. I think Jesus wants us to do that. What's one of the hardest passages in Scripture that you know about? You know, I think there's a couple of scary passages in Scripture. Probably for me, the scariest one is God who says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? 
That's a scary verse when you really think about it, isn't it? Like, what is going on? That is a scary verse. What's God saying to Satan about me, you know, or people I know? You know, what's going on there? Um, That's a scary verse. But I think another one that we really need to take seriously, and it really matters as we, we take a moment and think about what it is that we're doing as a church. And I'm saying these things because, you know, I spend a lot of time dealing with churches who are struggling in one way or the other. Lots of times there's internal strife, uh, and sometimes it's over ridiculous things, right? I was dealing with a church one time that they were arguing over the communion and whether to have, what kind of grape juice to have, okay? So they're going to have juicy juice or Welch's, and they're arguing about it. And they're arguing about the flavor, and they're arguing about the color of it, and it became a big deal. And then they argued about how often should they do communion? Is it once a month? Is it the first of the month? Is it every week? And they were going back and forth, and I was trying to help this pastor through it. And he finally called me, and he said, we solved the issue. And I said, you did. That's great. What did you decide to do? And he said, well, we decided not to have communion at all. That was their solution. It's like, okay, we're just not going to do it. You know, that's that's the wrong solution. Did you know that? Uh, just in case, uh, that's the wrong way to go. Um, we, I think we can get past these things when we consider something else, when we consider our mission, when we consider our ambassadorship as citizens of heaven. Uh, without abandoning our citizenship as people of the United States. I think we have a a certain call uh, as a nation to do something to help the poor and other people, both for our own security, but also for them. In fact, I think it works hand in hand, frankly. I think the fact that we aren't dealing with the poverty that is in our own hemisphere very well, that's why we're going to continue to have these problems. And I think politically, Here's the cynical side from me, okay? The cynical side is it kind of helps both sides having the immigration issue not resolved one way or the other because that's how you make, that's how you make fundraising money. Uh, you say, oh, these Democrats, they just want to open the border and let everybody in. And the Democrats are writing letters. Oh, these Republicans, they just aren't compassionate to people who are poor. And uh, if you solve the issue, the problem is, is that you can't write those letters and it harms your fundraising. Uh, that's just kind of the way it is. As Christians, we got to get past that. The other scary passage that Jesus gives us, Matthew 25. He says, starting in verse 31, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. You know, so there's so many people today talking about end times and whether we're in the end times now or all these things that are connected to the end times, which everything ultimately is, right? But we're looking at some stuff happen in the news today, then the confusion and the the things that just make no sense and the the mandates in such a way, you know, not to get into the, the vaccine argument, but what it means that the government might force you to do something or society. What if the government doesn't do it? Maybe private industry does it. Force you to do something that maybe you don't want to do. Um, but the, the consequence is you don't get to buy or sell. You don't get to participate in the, in the marketplace. Well, that alerts us, right, to what is predicted in the book of Revelation for the end. So we're thinking about these things, but we should not miss what is going on there and that we're all going to stand before Jesus. So Jesus, you know, when he's asked about the end times, first thing he always says is don't be deceived. And then he gives you the nitty gritty about it. That's what he's doing here in Matthew 25. He will put the sheep on his right and then the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. 
the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And now here's the scary part. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Do you have that on a, on a cup or a t-shirt or a plaque? You probably don't have. That's, uh, that's Matthew twenty five forty one, Verse 42, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. That's Jesus saying that. That's not some preacher. That's not some right-winger. That's not somebody, you know, on the left uh, spouting off a bunch of woke stuff. This is Jesus telling you how it's going to be. And what ultimately he's saying here, he's not saying that you have to do these things in order to be saved. He's not contradicting other things. But he is saying that it's a reflection of what we believe, how we take a look at other people, and what do we do things. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow. You can give me a call and uh, join the conversation. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-52-TALKS. Love to hear how you feel about this uh, or some things that your church is doing or maybe some ideas you've got or just some comment, 888-528-2557. We read the Micah mandate before the break. Verse 8 reminds us to act justly, right? We are to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. These are challenges because we all struggle with this. But whenever we see act justly, the word justly is connected always to widows and orphans, immigrants, the poor. And you know what happens today is our politics destroy words, okay? We, we're, we're in the process of destroying the word evangelical, for example. Uh, we all used to know what that means. Now we're not too sure what that means. We've destroyed the word justice, okay, from a biblical standpoint. We've turned it into maybe like something on the left or a a woke thing, except it's often not really about justice. It's about speaking out about some problem, whether it's real or imagined, but then still doing nothing, you know, or doing something like a Twitter hashtag, and, you know, and you say something here and there, but you don't really do anything. And then the, the poor just continue the way they are, and people aren't really helped. See, the the biblical work of justice, and we've wrecked that word, but to bring it back for a moment, is relational. And it's to be in the arena. It is to not be something political. It is something practical, something that uh, the sides in our political system aren't really doing a whole lot about. These are things, though, that are to be marks of the believers of God, that we get involved, that we should be deeply committed to caring for the most vulnerable. How many of us are doing that? I think a lot of us are, a lot of us are doing that. I mean, it is, you know, imagine if the church wasn't doing this. 
Imagine if the church wasn't supporting homeless ministries. And imagine how much the church actually is doing to minister to resettled refugees and immigrants in different ways. We're doing a lot. And imagine if you took that away, we would already be overrun, overrun by all kinds of problems. The leadership that the church should be showing, I think, in these areas, once we make our statement about whatever in the policies and right and left, we still have to act. We should be deeply committed to caring for the most vulnerable out there. To act justly, it means to care for them. Mercy, usually it's translated as steadfast love, like unconditional love, that we just love. We should be characterized by mercy. We are to love mercy. This is the part where we get past the fact that people who might be here illegally or they've got some kind of scheme going on or other stuff, they're lawbreakers. Yep, they're guilty, period. And uh, maybe they need to be deported. Maybe some people need to be arrested. We certainly need to be be making sure that uh, gang members and violent criminals or people who would do us harm, potential terrorists, that somehow we screen those people out. That's the job of government that it ought to be doing. I don't think it's doing a real good job. But let's just say that they're, they're going to miss that. I think we can, we can say that that's not going to work. What do we do then? Who are the ones who help? Part of it is mercy. We don't just write people off. We help them. And we're to love like this. We are to love people whether we get anything or not. That's mercy. Mercy is when you love people and you give grace to people who are totally guilty. That's what Jesus did for you and me. We're totally guilty before him, and uh, he gave us mercy and died in our place anyway. That's a good deal. We'll finish this up here in just a minute. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow. This is the Southern California Live program, and it is great to be with you today. You can give me a call if you want to chime in, 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. I'll be right back. Stay tuned. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Southern California Live. I am Pastor Scott Furrow. It's great to be with you. And uh, we've been talking about taking care of the poor and putting that in the context of what's going on at the border. And I was informed during the break that many of you are calling, but I wasn't seeing it on the screen. We're having technical difficulties. And I've got a screen that's in front of me that uh, actually tells me uh, who's on the line and that uh, we can go to your calls. And I apologize that we haven't been to your calls. If we can get that fixed uh, before the end of the hour, I will go right to your calls. I was thinking, you know, it's it's a funny thing when you're talking about these kinds of issues. Sometimes they're they're just kind of heavy and people don't know what to say. And then other times everybody's going to chime in and uh, for different reasons. And I thought to myself, I thought, oh, people are definitely going to talk about this. And you do. And you're calling in and that's great. Uh, but I'm sorry I haven't got to you yet. We might get to you. We'll, I'll go right to the calls as soon as that is possible for me. The number is 888-528-2557. And uh, in uh, in L.A., I'll be live in the next hour, and uh, maybe you can call back, and we'll get it fixed. And uh, you know, maybe we'll be in a different topic, but maybe you can make it fit in. We'll have to see how that goes. Anyway, uh, we've been going through the MICA mandate and what the church ought to be doing. How does the church respond to the poverty, and what are some things we do? And it's not just about the immigrants or people who are going to get placed in our cities who are going to need our help. Uh, our cities especially have lots of needs in areas of homelessness. And, uh, you know, I'm reading about all these people who are getting ready to run for mayor of Los Angeles, and they're all talking about homelessness and how they're going to build all these houses for all these homeless people. I guess they can purchase them for seven or $800,000. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of uh, asking for money on the street corner there to purchase that house. Um, and I think that is, that's not what they're going to sell them for, right? But I think that's what they cost. And it, it's not working, right? And I guess that is a bigger point here with, with the immigration policy. Nothing's happening. And we have people suffering 
what do we do? Well, the Micah mandate and what Jesus calls us to do, and in fact, part of the conversation we're going to have with Jesus one day is what did we do for the least of these? That's what Jesus is interested in. And, uh, and because it's a reflection of who we are and what we believe, and I think as the church that we are called to do something, not merely to speak out, that's part of it, but we're actually called to get beyond the left and right and actually help people to act justly and to love mercy. And the last part of that is to walk humbly with, with God. When you're walking with somebody, you're doing a couple of things. Do you like to go for walks? I do. I love it. When you're walking with somebody, you have a relationship with that person. That's number one. And number two is you're going somewhere. I mean, maybe you just went for a walk and you're going to go, you know, to the fence and back, or you're going to walk, you know, some around the track, but you're, or maybe you're going to the store. When you're walking with somebody in relationship, you're with, you're with them in relationship and you're going someplace. And when you are with somebody, you're having conversation and you are accountable and exposed to that conversation. You're a friend. It's what happens when you're walking with somebody and you're growing and you're gradually changing and you're getting to know each other better and the relationship improves. This is what it means to walk humbly with the Lord, that you actually have a relationship with God and it's going both ways. You're getting to know him better. Now, he knows you perfectly, but you're beginning to realize how well he knows you, which, by the way, helps you understand his grace. The more God knows you, the more you realize that he knows your deepest, darkest secret, uh, the dark things about you, and that Jesus died for you anyway. Uh, You have such a great friend in Jesus. And when we are doing these things, we go somewhere together. We do something. I think Jesus is calling his church in the United States, certainly around the world, but also in the United States, to do something, to make a difference. We are to do good, and we are to be concerned about the things that Jesus is concerned about. And we should care about the oppressed, and specifically we read all the time about widows and orphans and immigrants and the poor. And we are to be merciful to other people, not to gain anything for ourselves. We already have everything we need through Christ, but to be merciful and to make sure that other people know who Jesus is. You know, I say it to a lot of people that are concerned about refugees coming into our country and committing crimes or terrorists who might be coming in, and I think those are legit concerns. Um, Imagine what happens if these people come to know Christ because of our love for them. Well, then we have alleviated those concerns, haven't we? All right, a couple of minutes left, and I got a couple of calls here. Um, let's go to uh, Alana in Covina. Alana, welcome to the Southern California Live program. Let's go to Alana. Alana. Are you there? Hi, Pastor Scott. Yes. Hi, Alana. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. You covered everything so thoroughly. This would be this is breaking news for me. I I wasn't aware of uh, the ambassador situation in Haiti, I just wanted to say, yes, we're the church, and we shouldn't, and I'm speaking to myself first, shouldn't admit this so political. Uh, when you took a break there, I Googled, entered the word Joyce Meyer Haiti, and sure enough, uh, she, she's already established there. Mm-hmm. So there's things that the Holy Spirit can lead us into. So I just thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much for that call. In fact, I think uh, it's a great thing that you can do. And kind of how we want to end up here is that there are things to do. This is not some kind of hopeless endeavor where we're saying, because it does seem overwhelming, right? 15,000 Haitian immigrants, so not even immigrants from Central America or South America or Mexico, Haitian immigrants 
at the border, what do we do? It's overwhelming, right? But you know what? There's already Christian organizations, really good ones, that are out there. Tomorrow we may have a conversation with one of them who's working in, in Haiti. Uh, World Relief is one, but what Alana said is go ahead and you know, Google it. You're going to find some good ones. You know, what I would like to do is, uh, you know, what I like to do is try to also find out what the, state, the, the statement of faith is for these organizations. You can check into their finances and other stuff, but there's a lot of things that you can do. Sometimes it's, you send money, but there's lots of things that you can do. And there's also local things uh, to do. Uh, let's go to Anna in Canoga Park. Anna, welcome to the Southern California Live program. Anna, welcome to the program. Yeah. You still with us in Canoga Park? How's it going in Canoga Park? My aunt used to live in Canoga Park. Well, it's a little bit overcast, kind of here. Uh, it's overcast. All right. So, uh, what are your thoughts here about uh, what we're discussing here? Okay. Yeah. Can you turn down your radio just a little bit? There you go. Anna, do we lose you? Oh, I think we might have lost her. I think I heard like her cheek hit the buttons on the phone. Do you ever have that happen? Are you back? Oh, you're back. I didn't, Anna, we didn't get you there. You kind of uh, might have hit the mute button. So can you start over? Yeah. Uh, I, am I on the radio now? Yes, you are. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wanted to talk about the people that are coming over here. Um, I was listening to one of the programs and they. They were having people on the like talking on the talk show, and they were telling that they lived on the border, and there's people coming in, and they're not stopping them, and uh, and so they're they're like uh, coming in, and it's like I think about two million that's come in since uh, two months have been coming in, a lot, a lot of people, and you know what? I'm just kind of worried that we're not going to have enough money to take care of everybody, so we have to do something about this because I've been robbed. My neighbor's been robbed. One across the street has been robbed. Mm-hmm. And it's getting very scary. I live by myself. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're not even taking care of our veterans. So right. We take care of more people. Right. And you I know, think, that, uh, I think, uh, Anna, I want to get to some other calls before we're, we're off here, but I thank you for your call. You know, I think that's a concern that lots of people have. And one of the things, and, and I'm one of these people who complains about government spending money. We're $30 trillion in debt. How in the world are we going to do this? I think one of the things that we can do, Anna, though, is is move past that a little bit and say, what can we do as the church, practically speaking? Probably cost some money, but you know, a lot of you know, it costs our own money. It's our own offering to people who need help. But a lot of it also is our involvement um, in relationships with people, and we can prevent some of that crime and some of the things we're worried about when we really help people personally, when we relate. And that's kind of the the biblical idea of justice part and loving mercy, that we realize that there are risks, but we really want to get involved. And personally involved isn't for everybody. I think some people have to give money, but I think most of us have something to give. It can be tutoring. It can be uh, just conversations. There's so many different ways we can do this. Uh, Oscar in Baldwin Park, uh, you're on the Southern California Life program. Oscar, welcome to the show. Yeah. Yeah, hello, Pastor Scott. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, um, I gotta be honest. I gotta be honest with you. I, I didn't. You know, you watch the news about this all the time, and I see both sides of the of networks that that kind of favor towards one side or the other. Yeah. And I, I haven't really thought about it from a biblical point. I'll be honest with you. Um, you got me thinking about it. Um, all I can say is that you know, obviously, I'm, I'm, we're not in Texas. It's a little far from us, but like you said earlier, there's a lot of homelessness in our own backyard. 
That's I right. It teaches us to really look look at our own name, the people that are struggling, see what we can do to help them. Maybe buy them a meal. I try to every now and then. I try to buy them a meal or do what I can for them, and maybe uh, in the future, maybe try to give them a small Bible, and let them know that there's still hope out there for people that that you know that there's still something out there that they're not forgotten about because there's still a lot of people. Right, that's a perfect example. As as much as people complain about this country, there's still millions of people that, from other countries that want to come and live here because they know it is a better life than when they're at right now. So that's right. We got to look at that and, and be grateful for what we got. Uh, but for those Haitians, I haven't looked at it from a biblical point, so that's you got me thinking in that in that regard for the, for for them. So all right, that's, that's Oscar. All right. Yeah, thank you, thank you for that great call. And you're right, is that we need to be thinking beyond what we're watching on the news, beyond all the left and right politics, because we as a church do have something to do with all of this. There's more we can do for orphans, more we can do for homeless right in our own backyard, immigrants, refugees. We're loaded with poor in Southern California. There's so many things, and it's complex. It's not that easy. And in saying that, it's not going to be solved by the government. I'm going to give you that political opinion of mine. The government's not going to solve it. They're probably going to make it worse. But the church is the answer to these things. And you and I, if you know Jesus or the church, we can do it. And I think Jesus is calling us to do that. So pray about that. My friends, we're out of time this hour, but uh, good discussion. Glad I got some of you on the air. You're listening to the Southern California Live program. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow. And it's great to be with you. We will be back in just a few moments. Stay tuned. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.